Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, we're excited to have her. She has become our Western correspondent because she's out there in the beautiful front range of Colorado, which I got to enjoy back in October. We'll talk about that in a minute. Chris Kiefer, she's a columnist at the Denver Post. She has a whole bunch of animals, including a cat in her lap, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, and we're going to talk to her like we love to do. How are you, ma'am? Great to have you back on the program. It is good to be back. Um, yeah, it's it's rather cold here, um, but uh, we're having a great day. Yeah, y'all went through the one of the viral videos of the bomb cyclone or whatever everybody went through over the holidays there was the live shot with time lapse of denver where it went from nice to antarctica in about 45 minutes for people that don't live in the mountains and at altitude like that just explain to them how fast the wet look i was there last week of october and it was 75 every day talk to people about just how fast the weather changes on the front range up there because it really is something you can sit there and watch the weather coming at you Yes, it is pretty crazy here because we are at a higher altitude. We get epic hail, unfortunately, in the uh, spring, summer, and fall. I've got, uh, I've had golf ball-sized hail hit my house. Uh, to say that if you're in the insurance industry, this might be a good place to relocate. Um, but yeah, it can change from it can be 75 degrees in the winter with bright sunshine, and then drop down into like the 30s. It's been a cold winter, which I think is nice. I like snow but uh, not everybody does yeah all right so as a columnist you tackle the important issues of the day which comes first the chicken or the egg or in this case as you're writing which came first the cost increase in poultry or the cost increase in the eggs well it, it the problem here is that a lot of our poultry has died so we've lost six million birds from avian flu we've also lost a lot of wild birds uh great horned owls also uh, red-tailed hawks, uh, very susceptible to avian flu. I have a flock of five hens. Luckily they have not gotten avian flu, but it has been a big deal. In fact, in December, I think uh, well over a million birds slaughtered because of, of avian flu, and that has driven the price of eggs up. It's not a Colorado problem exclusively. 47 states have had an issue with avian flu, and it's driven the price of eggs pretty, pretty high. 
Yeah, Chris Key for joining us. Here's the problem with eggs is cost of living is going up for everybody. Of course, we know about inflation. Poultry is one of those things that covers a couple of different things because they do produce eggs. They're also, you know, they also produce feed for other animals. They also produce meat, chicken as we buy it, which is one of the most popular meats in America. It's also historically supposed to be the cheaper meat, you know, the little bit more affordable meat. So this crosses a couple different streams all at once, doesn't it? So well, uh, I don't know that meat hens have been as affected. Uh, meat birds basically have a lifespan of about six months. Uh, once hatched, they sit around gaining, you know, uh, gaining mass basically for six months, and then they're slaughtered. Laying hens usually are kept around for about two years. I keep mine for the natural lifespan, which is up to ten years. But usually around two, they slaughter those birds, and they become your Campbell's chicken noodle soup just because layers are a little too too tough for people to have on their kitchen table just as a roasted hen. But yes, it is a, it is a big deal. Avian flu is a significant problem. It doesn't actually transfer to humans, but it kills an awful lot of birds. Yeah, and then the thing that happens here is it gets into, th- you know, avian flu has been around for a long time. This is something that it almost seems cyclical at this point, right? Every couple of years we have an mm-hmm. outbreak of this. But it goes right back into something we've talked about before and we've talked with you about before. Here we go again with a conversation of how do we balance an economic concern, which is, you know, food needs to be as cheap as possible for as many people as possible to afford it with humanitarian concerns, how these birds are taken care of, even though they are for food production. That's a big deal, because when you start talking about losing six million birds, the reason you lose so many in avian flu is because they're kept in tight quarters. They're all, but it's just like we went through with COVID, you know, infectious disease spreads in bunches. Well, poultry farms to be cost effective have to be bunches of birds. I've seen the mountain air farms we have near where I live before. There's no way really around that, but it brings us back to the old conversation again. How do we balance economic concerns and feeding everybody with also being humane to these animals? And that definitely is a concern here in Colorado. Two years ago, the legislature passed a, a new law saying that, all of the chickens have to have uh, about a square foot of space, which seems pretty minimal, if you ask me. In the past the past number of decades, the kind of big factory farms have started pushing for tighter and tighter quarters. So you've got a whole bunch of hens in a cage, barely able to move, spend their lives standing on, on you know, metal metal bars while uh, eating food and, and creating eggs. And consumers are saying, we don't, we don't want that anymore. Yeah, we want economically sound uh, egg policies, but we do not necessarily want animals to be treated cruelly. So consumers are pushing towards more humane options, cage-free and free range, not exactly the same thing, but at least get these birds out of these cages. Large entities, big restaurants like Burger King, Marriott and so forth are are also moving towards purchasing eggs from humane operations. And now legislator, legislatures around the country, maybe less than a dozen, have put forth rules that say if you want to sell eggs in this state, your hens have to have at least a square foot of space and then starting next year at least have to be out of the cage. That doesn't mean they you know, can't be packed into a big room, but at least they can move around a little bit. Yeah, Krista Kay for joining us. I like it when you wrote about this in your pieces, and we're going to link to her Substack where she reruns her columns as well. This is so much not a new problem that you quoted something from 1641, the Massachusetts Body of Liberties, 
That is not a, you know, I don't know what that sounds like, but the Massachusetts Body of Liberties was actually a political thing, policy-making arm, I guess you would call it in modern parlance. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because they wrote it in the old English kind of things, but 1641 to today, and here they are talking about the exact same issues. Yeah, that was the first uh, kind of uh, humane treatment standards set up in this country during the colonial era. But even if we go back in time, if you look at the old you know, Hebrew law, for example, there are some some uh, rules in there about how you treat your animals. Um, you know, even on the Sabbath, if your oxen or your donkey falls into a hole, you still can pull that animal out. Um, There's an expectation that animals that are used as beasts of burden, also animals that are used as food, are treated humanely. And I'm a big meat eater. I love, uh, uh, you know, I love a good steak. I love game. I'm always telling people that I'll trade my homemade jam for any game they can give me. But I, I don't want animals treated poorly simply so that I can eat their protein. I want animals to be treated well. And if we look at with cattle, cattle had pretty decent lives because they spent a good deal of their life out in the field. But pigs and chickens are treated really abysmally in a lot of cases. And we're, I'm, I'm 100% behind these new rules to make sure that they've got at least some quality of life while they're alive. Yeah, Krista Caver. It's funny you mentioned cows in comparison. Um, Yellowstone's immensely popular, most popular TV show in America right now. The opening scene of the first episode was the the bullet line on the first scene was Kevin Costner looking at the cow and going, amazing what we do to keep you fed, right? We understand <laughs> that, you know, livestock is money. It's a commodity, not just food. We talked before with you about pork. Um, now we're talking about chickens. There does seem to be an overarching, we're joking about this 1641 law that's written about tyranny and tyranny spelled T-I-R-R-A-N-N-Y and cruelty is uh, with an I-E at the end. You know, there does seem to be a thread where people are like, okay, look, there's got to be a way to do both with modern technology. You know, this is another one of those things social media changed is because we have pictures inside those facilities. Look, I've been on the kill floor at Smithfield Processing. It is not pretty. People don't want to see that especially people that want to eat meat. We know what we can see it now. We're in the past. You couldn't see where your food came from. People want a balance. So where is the balance? Is it going to be a regulatory fix? Is it going to be a legislative fix? Or is it just going to be public pressure in the market saying that, or is it a combination thereof? I think it's a combination thereof. So a couple of years ago, I started buying cage-free eggs, but not that much more money. Um, I don't bother with the whole organic thing. <laughs> Here's a kind of funny thing. People say, you'll, you'll look at these expensive eggs and they'll say vegetarian fed. Well, you know, hens are omnivores. If I throw meat into my the pen where I keep my hens, they'll fight over it. They'll, they'll share the salad, but they'll fight over the meat. So, you know, if you see organic or, you know, vegetarian on that label, it doesn't really mean much, except that those poor hens are deprived the pleasure of meat. But the cage-free option or even the free-range option, I think, is something that customers really need to look for. I also have my own hens, which lay about 10 months out of the year, so I don't even buy eggs much of the time. And I give away a lot of eggs because they're good producers. So I, I, I think that consumers can make good choices, but at some point you will always have market pressures, consumers who don't care about humane standards, and producers who also do not care about humane standards. And that's where you have to have the legislature stepping in. 
Yeah, Chris K for joining us. You just mentioned it, so let's talk about it for folks that, you know, like I've, I've got a local pork guy that I go to, but I can only do that about four or five times a year because he's a small family farm. He only goes, he can only do it when he goes to processing and then he calls me like, hey, I'm coming back from the processor. What do you want? I can't feed my family like that. And most other people can, and a lot of people don't even have that options. So when they just go to a grocery store, what are they looking for? Because the late, you know, people label about everything. You know, my local grocery chain does have a local label for certain things, but some folks don't have that. What should they actually look at? Look, you're somebody that pays attention to this. You raise your own chickens, like you said. Give them a few things to look for beyond just the marketing labels to know that they can feel good about what they're getting. I would look for cage-free or free-range. So cage-free means they're not in a cage, but they are in a, in a big facility. There's a lot of birds in one place. It's not necessarily inhumane, but cage-free is, that's what cage-free is. If you do free-range, those animals have a lot more space. And I buy one or the other, depending on the price. And then when it comes to uh, meat hens, um, those hens are also often treated really poorly. And I'm kind of moving away. As much as I love chicken, I am kind of moving away from both chicken and pork unless I can make sure that I'm getting those animals from a humane operation. And I'm just simply eating a lot more beef uh, just because I know those animals are treated, treated well. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Chris the K for joining us. Okay, you're out in Colorado, so... One of the things is, is when you're from a particular area of the country and you're a media commentator, you get stuck talking about particular people from that area that you need to commentate on, right? Yes. Um, you're all, everybody's favorite GOP uh, congressperson, and of course that changes based on who you talk to. You wrote about Lauren Boebert. Here's where I want to start with, before we get to the speaker fight and her being front and center on that the last few days. When I was out in Colorado into October, of course, they're almost time for the election, I wasn't in her district, but I asked some folks because I was just curious because I'm a national guy. All I know is what I read. You see the trade. So I just asked people in Colorado what they thought. I was really surprised because a lot of them was like, hey, we, we think this is going to be a closer election than you think. People aren't really super happy with her. She had her district redrawn. People actually thought it might be even more favorable towards her. And she underperformed a lot. She barely survived that election. 
you're actually there. You cover it. You're writing about it. Again, we'll link to your Substack on the piece that you wrote about her. You said this is a pretty clear message to her about what she should and shouldn't do if she wants to survive in 2024. We all saw the speaker fight. She was all over the national news. Was that a step towards or a step away from what you were saying she should have learned from the election in 2022? I'm thinking maybe she didn't learn. So she she won by about 500 votes. And this is after scandals came out about her opponent. So, and it's a, it is a, it's a plus eight district. It's a heavily Republican district. And a lot of folks were saying, I, I'm tired of her style. In fact, Trump-like, Trump-like candidates did far worse than non-Trump-like candidates in this state, even in very conservative districts. So if you look at her district, the, the statewide candidates who are not Trumpians, for the most part, did better than her in her own district. People don't like the, you know, when you scream out during the State of the Union, they don't, they don't like that stuff. They don't like, you know, showy, I'm, I'm, you know, running around with a pistol on my hip and I'm saying stupid stuff. A sub, you know, a certain amount of people do like that because they think it's "quote unquote" fighting back. Um, I'm not sure. It seems more like you're punching the air. But I don't know that she learned the lesson. I also think it's just her. She is. Uh, so I call her the plucky pugilist. She she likes to fight. She's not a serious person, uh, and this, and she loves the attention. She loves the camera. But you know that you've kind of crossed the line when Sean Hannity takes you to task for things you've said and done. Uh, perhaps you've crossed the line. What is the electorate in Colorado? Because Colorado is a very complicated place right now politically. There's a lot of cross streams. We talked about it before. I find Colorado really fascinating because you have a lot of progressivism, but you also have some real deep pockets. You have some national, really super conservative groups and religious groups that are headquartered there. You also have an openly gay governor. You have a lot of inclusion. You have a lot of tradition and history. There's a lot of cross streams when it comes to Colorado. We understand that a congressional district can be pretty insular, but when you see something like what happened in the speaker fight, if she winds up getting isolated where she's not really part of the water caucus and just doing the online stuff, is that something the electorate in Colorado is paying attention to? Do they put those two things together? It's like, look, you're on TV, but you're not really doing anything for us or the other way around. How does it land with the people there that you're around? I honestly think that if she had a strong primary contender, she had a, a really good person as a primary contender last time around, Don Corum, seasoned legislator, but you know, a man in his 70s, man uh, already in office and, and working for the people. And I, I think you need somebody who's younger and dynamic to take her on at the primary level. And I think it could happen. So Colorado, like you said, is kind of a complicated place. I grew up here. It was much more of a purple state then where you could get a Republican governor. You very often had a Republican secretary of state, Republican attorney general. The state got an influx of millions of people, many of whom were, were Democrats, frankly, and now the numbers just don't look good. So Democrats outnumber Republicans in the state by, by a pretty substantial margin, with the exception of a couple of areas that remain Republican strongholds. Colorado Springs, We'll focus on the family, its headquarters. That is one of those areas. The eastern part of the state, held by Ken Buck, also conservative, a lot of uh, farms, small towns. And then the, the mountains do have some uh, you know, ski areas, wealthy Democrat strongholds like Aspen, but then the rest of the mountains, including 
the largest mountain city there, which is Grand Junction, is a republic is Republican. So, it, you know, you have strong candidates in those areas. You can have Republicans in office. The Weld County in the north should have gone Republican, but there was a Libertarian spoiler that made a very liberal Democrat take that area. I think it's possible that in the future that could be picked up as well. But I, I, I do think that uh, Bobert is the weakest link. I also think she's an embarrassment to the party. Uh, things that she says are, are pretty cringeworthy. Here's the irony, though, is over the speaker fight, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a, a definitely more cringeworthy candidate or uh, sitting office holder, actually went after Bobert, and now they're no longer besties. And Bobert is complaining about Green and Green complaining about Bobert. So, you know, if you don't like to watch the Kardashians, you can always watch C-SPAN. Yeah, it is true, Krista Kafer. Let's be adults here, though. Marjorie Taylor Greene buddied up to uh, Kevin McCarley because she wants her committee assignments back because, remember, she was stripped of that for her previous behavior. So that's why that's going on. And uh, But, you know, you do – that's one of those you just sit back and are like, nope, let them fight. Uh, one more thing on Colorado politics, though. You just mentioned it. We have a delineated line from some of these elections now. People don't like chaos, and they don't like the crazy. And by crazy, we mean the election denial stuff. You just mentioned it. If this Congress, the GOP majority Congress for the next two years, look, we know legislatively they're going to be pretty limited just by the math and they don't have the Senate. And we've already seen the like they can't do the easy stuff. I'm calling me skeptical. They're going to get something big pushed through. If they just have nothing but investigations and that sort of rhetoric going into 2024, you just mentioned it. Colorado is as a pretty purple could go either way state in a lot of these races how's that going to play do you think if all they have is the internet stuff the investigation stuff not that there's maybe some important things there that needs to be done but if that's all they got going in how's that going to play well the percentage of people out there who genuinely care about biden's laptop is i don't know 10 percent, 15 percent. so if you focus all of your time on investigations of of a silly nature i i do think that the debacle in Afghanistan deserves some investigations. But the other stuff, it's not serious. I think that the Republican Party needs to become, again, that sort of big tent party as opposed to trying to uh, excite that 10, 15% of the, the, the deep red base. And that means putting forth serious ideas and, and being the party that is a serious alternative to Democrat policies. And Democrats, the, the policies are bad. Uh, the whole idea that we can tax and spend our way out of a, a out of a deficit or or debt hole, the fact that we can um, you know continue to overregulate the economy, drive up inflation, Democrats need to own that, and they will own that when Republicans put forth serious ideas and get away from Trump and the far right fringe. Yeah, I think so too, Krista Kafer. We always enjoy talking to you. One more thing, just. What's some of the things, because look, East Coast, West Coast media bias is a real thing. 
What's a couple things out west that's playing kind of big picture over the next year? We know Congress and that sort of thing. What's a story or two you're just kind of keeping dog-eared for uh, this could pop off in the spring or the summertime? What's one or two things you're watching that maybe the East Coast isn't paying attention to out west? What do you got on your radar? Well, we definitely have issues with water out here. And so they, you know, there's the, the western states, there's the upper basin and lower basin for the Colorado River and figuring out how to divvy up that water, how to keep the, the dams that power up Las Vegas, uh, keep those dams um, and generators running is important, but also places like Arizona and California are kind of the breadbasket of the nation. Um, what do we need to do to make sure that that water eventually ends up going south, uh, as well as uh, being able to supply front range with water? And of course, we also have a big agricultural community here. And that's a little boring and wonky, but my eye is always there. Also, what happens when we don't have enough employees to, you know, to, to work at restaurants, to work at retail outlets? What happens when sort of the, uh, the change of population and we get that, that uh, we get fewer workers, what is that ultimately going to do for our economy is something that I, 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 I am keeping an eye on. I think about my great grandparents had 12 kids, my grandparents had five, my parents had two, my sister had one, and I have no children. What happens when the population starts to uh, decrease? What does that do to the economy? That's kind of a long-term thing, not obviously specifically West, something that's going to affect, I think, the entire country. Yeah, that's a good one. One thing about it, though, is when you get those workers out there in the Denver area, one about those toll roads, I saw when my bill popped up after being out there for a week. Good Lord. I'm telling you, <laughs> I thought the West Virginia. It's gotten expensive here. Man, I I racked up about ninety bucks worth in about five days. It was pretty oh, amazing. Man. But um, anyway, I still enjoyed it. Denver was great. Highly recommended. Uh, Krista Kafer, always enjoy you. Till we get you back on Hertel again, let folks know where they can keep up with you. We're gonna link to your Substack. Let people know where they can find it. Your column at the Denver Post and everything else you got going on, my friend. Well, let's see. I got the Denver Post column. I got the Substack. I'm occasionally on. 850 KOA and also 630 KO if you're within the, <clears throat> within the reach of those radio stations. And then I also appear on Channel 12's Colorado Inside Out on occasion. So that's that's what I got going on. My biggest publicity, obviously, heard to tell. Yeah, I, I hope so, but I'm not sure we're there yet. I mean it, though. Denver was a wonderful place. Actually, um, some of the people we were out there for a wedding, they're going to be having a baby next year. Hopefully get back out there. Maybe we'll do food sometime, do this live. So we don't have all the technical issues we had this time, my friend. Chris Kafer, always great having you, my friend. Great. Yeah, great being there. And yeah, let's uh, yeah, let's get together and have a big bullet chili. Sounds good. Talk soon. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. 
Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.